Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Hey, Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Are you responsible for the weather? Are you happy with it or displeased? I'm very happy with it. Yes, then yes, I am. Thank you for asking. Good job. Good job. Appreciate that. Um, we'll talk with Bob Frante later in the show about this, but we'll start here. We're also, Sydney Sherrill's going to join us, who's been a fixture and a rock star on the softball team. The uh, softball team has its final home game of the season tonight against Florida. So here's hoping we beat the Gators uh, again. Uh, so Sydney Sherrill will join us. But uh, as far as Bob, we'll, we'll dive into football. Keith, we, we talked a lot about the draft last week. Uh, was hopeful that a couple more guys might get drafted. Bottom line, only one got drafted. First round pick, but it, it, it does speak to the bigger challenge that we know we've been facing for a number of years here. People have asked me over the last 12, 24, 36 months, you know, when, when are we going to be back? When are we gonna, and I keep reminding them that we're, we're probably just now fully appreciating how far the program had um, backed up, dropped, whatever – words you want to use because the people that are supposed to be in the know, i.e. the NFL, in terms of judging talent, have basically spoken over the last three drafts about what they think of the recruiting classes that have been brought into Florida State, and there's still work ahead. By no means do I say that it's not on an upward trajectory. It is. By no means do I say that uh, Norvell and his staff uh, have done wonders, particularly in paying attention to the transfer portal. Yes, all that is true, but there's still work ahead. There is one of the things, though, it was not unique to Florida State. I mean, Miami had one guy picked. I think Florida had three. Uh, it, it seems to me that if you look at the last five, ten years, uh, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing, but every game is on TV now. There's there's cost of attendance dollars even before NIL. So it is easier for somebody to go further away, still be viewed playing their game by the family and still be able to come home because of that that cost. So that I think that does factor in somewhere into that equation, Keith. I would agree. I would agree. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough to have been around when athletic directors were scared to death that television games would be more than one or two nationally. Every week, in fact, there was a Supreme Court lawsuit over it uh, that involved Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, and, and now the pendulum has swung all the way back the other way. Uh, I think, too, uh, just the, the society that we're in, 
you know, there was a time two generations ago, three generations ago, you wanted to stay in your, your state or stay in your uh, region and, you know, make the, the state or the region proud. And now uh, you're looking at it in terms of where's the playing opportunity and where can I um, advance my career the most. So it's, it's, there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different factors, uh, but certainly uh, it has uh, created a situation where, you know, the Florida schools don't have the dominance that they won't have. And there's, again, work ahead for everybody. The flip side is that Mike Norvell, it's been part of the sales pitch for the guys he's bringing in in the portal. Not all of them. I mean, Jermaine Johnson didn't have Florida ties, but but Keir Thomas, they recruited out of high school in Miami. And so when he wants to come back, the pitch is come back home. Dylan Gibbons is from the Tampa Bay area. Right. And like, mm-hmm. so when when you go further away and realize, you know what? It's it's colder in South Bend than I realized, or I'm not getting the playing time I thought, or my family can't come visit, and and here's Florida State ready to say, hey, come on back. It's still the Sunshine State, and we can get you back. I mean, that's really been what the pitch is for a lot of them. Very much so, and and who knows what we'll be talking about ten or twenty years from now because uh, we may get into this in this show or uh, throughout the summer. But you know, the college game, Tommy, is is rapidly changing, and I'm not sure it's changing at least short term for the better. And I think we're going to see some monumental shifts and things uh, in the near term, as opposed to the long term. I, I would say, so, you know, it's human nature. We all complain about things as they change. And there's been other things we complain about with college athletics, including cost of attendance, you know, which has come and gone and that's been no big deal. Right. Uh, this one feels like it's, it's, it's grabbing such attention. It's almost been so offensive that maybe we will get to resolution more quickly than if it was, eh, it's all right, no big deal. Cause it feels like this one's going to remain a big deal. And well, we're talking about NIL and the fact right. that NIL is not being used in that context. It's just straight up pay to come here. What I'm fearful of, and I'm not predicting it will happen. I'm saying I'm fearful of, and I find myself doing this is you keep reading these stories. You keep hearing these stories you know, if you don't get me more money, I'm going into the transfer portal. Or I'm, I'm only going to this school because they promised me X versus Y. You're going to turn off a fan base. And we've seen that happen with Major League Baseball. And when you turn off a fan base, you know, it's the proverbial aircraft carrier. Once they start leaving, they're going to leave for a while. And it's going to take a lot to turn them back around and get them back in the fold. That's my fear. I agree. And then the other thing is the the lack of balance, the same teams at the top, that narrows down the people who are interested as well. I know you could make the argument, you know, in baseball, people want to see the Dodgers and Yankees every year. Uh, at some point you get tired of it. And I feel like we're at that point for college football. If you're not an Alabama or Georgia fan, do you really want to see Alabama and Georgia every year? No, in Ohio you State? don't. You don't. So there, there's, there's several things working against it right now. Uh, Keith, we'll, when Bob joins us, we'll ask him to solve all of those issues in his 15-minute segment. I don't know if he'll be successful, but we'll at least Well, we pay him that. enough. He ought to be able to do that. He ought to be able to handle that. We'll also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, be joined by Sydney Sherrill in our next segment. She's the uh, all-time doubles leader in FSU history, ACC history. I, I don't want to sell her short. It might be NCAA history. Came in as a freshman and, and won a national championship and is going to go out, I would think, having a chance to compete for another as good as that softball team is getting ready to play Florida tonight. So Sydney joins us next after that, Bob Ferranti from the Osceola. So stay with us. We are just getting cranked up here on Front Row Knowles. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. Really pleased to be joined with one of the stars on this Florida State campus in Sydney Sherrill, who's been a fixture with the softball program, softball team for a number of years. Sydney, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good. I, You know, I'm going to cut right to the quick on this. I said a number of years you came in and Florida State won a national title and you've been back out to Oklahoma City since then. It's been a lot of years and I realize you're probably going to have postseason at home, but but failing that, it's your last regular season home game tonight. Have you had a chance to digest that thought at all? I really haven't. I feel like we've been so busy with, you know, OSU this past weekend and then um, just practicing since then and just kind of getting ready and uh, getting our minds ready for postseason. Um, I haven't really thought about it, but um, I'm just really excited for postseason with my team. I know it's not going to be the last time playing at home, so um, not too sad about it yet. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy that it's all kind of coming to an end. City, as you look at this team and you reflect back on your prior teams, what makes this year different in any way, either humorously or competitively or in between? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think we have a lot of experience on this year's team um, from playing in the national championship last year and just going throughout season last year of not, you know, having the offensive numbers, but really figuring out ways to win. I think we've kind of said that all year that the team just knows how to fight and win and figure out different ways to win, whether it's hitting the home run or, you know, bunting or um, having a pitching duel like we saw last weekend with OSU. I think, um, you know, we just never give up and uh, we fight to the finish. And I've, I think we've been in some pretty amazing games so far this season, which I haven't been a part of throughout a whole season, this many like nail biting games um, into, you know, extra innings and all that. So I think we just, you know, we know how to stay in games and we're never out of the fight for sure. I want to drill a little deeper on that, though, because uh, obviously you guys have had a lot of success with it. Is it something about the way Coach Alameda coaches? Is it really just experience because you guys have been on the big stage? Because, I mean, you're you're winning in walk-off fashion, it seems like, once a week. I think you were right in the middle. It wasn't a walk-off, but last time FSU played Florida, you you know you helped grab the lead there. What What is it that gives you guys such confidence that you can be successful in those situations? You know, I think I think we just uh, gel really well together as a team, and um, we have a lot of talent this year. And I think we're just kind of still throughout season, we're just finding different ways um, to succeed and. It, sometimes it just takes us a little bit longer into games, um, whereas sometimes it's like, you know, the first inning. But with us, I feel like, you know, we get, um, you know, three, four at-bats off a pitcher um, from us offensively, and we really start to figure out our plans as hitters and what we need to do to succeed. And I feel like that's really what keeps us in games and helps us, you know, stick with those extra inning games is um, just our hitting and our preparation beforehand and, um, just saying with after those third and fourth out bats throughout the lineup, I think um, we just really know how to stay in there and, you know, get the job done. So um, I'm really proud of us offensively, what we've done this year, especially comparative to last year. I think uh, we struggled a lot with it last year. So I think we really found our groove this year and how to work through those, you know, tough times and really good pitching staffs that we faced so far this year. Um, 
And then, of course, our pitching staff has done a heck of a job this year, like they always do, and to keep us in those ball games. So I think we just really gel really well together as a team and um, to keep us in those games. And I'm really excited for postseason and big games like Florida tonight. And um, we go travel up to NC State and then the ACC tournament, of course. So um, a lot of big games left, and I'm just really excited to see what we, what we bring to them. Let's talk a little bit about the ACC. When you got on campus at Florida State, I don't think the ACC was terribly respected when it comes to softball. That's changed just in your career. Just talk about what's different about this conference now versus three, four, five years ago. Yeah, I mean, just to see the growth of it has been really awesome to see throughout my years. I think my freshman year, we like had lost. There was a long streak of ACC regular season games um, being won by Florida State. And I remember we lost and broke that streak. And um, I just remember feeling kind of a disappointment um, to the ACC. But I feel like that kind of really showed the growth of the ACC and starting that growth. And now, you know, we're not regular season champs this year. We weren't last year. Um, we weren't tournament champs last year. And, you know, it, it definitely obviously sucks for us. But it's really cool to see the competitiveness throughout the conference and how it's growing. And now, you know, number two and three team in the country are ACC teams and um, a couple more in the top 25. So I just think it's really awesome for the conference and um, cool to uh, be a part of it and be a part of the growth as well. Sydney Sherrill is joining us from the Florida State softball team. And uh, disclosure, we're doing this via Zoom, and she's in a car. She's not driving, but apologies for the <laughs> Zoom garble we just heard there. Um, you mentioned you were coming from a team activity. You can disclose what that was if you want uh, or not. But I, really, my question is related to the culture that Coach Alameda fosters, because uh, you guys uh, appear to be as close-knit a team as any on campus and maybe in college athletics. I mean, every year we all get captivated when you're in Oklahoma City. What is it about the culture and then the, the team building? I mean, it just seems to work. Yeah, I think, I mean, the coaching staff and Coach Alameda have done an amazing job um, for many years before I even came in of just building this program and um, setting standards and what we want out of each other and just growing people first and athletes as well. And um, I think we just really enjoy each other's company because Coach Alameda recruits really good people. She brings really good people in on the coaching staff and the support staff as well. And um, just good people make good people make good people. And we just all have a lot of fun together and team activities. Uh, we do a lot of fun things. We just got done zip lining and um, it was a super fun activity that we did. And um, we just enjoy each other's company. And I think that's what really brings our, you know, teamwork out on the field and together on the field to, you know, go those late ball games and extra inning ball games and, um, just we have that support on the field, which uh, has been awesome over the past four years um, to be a part of. And I'm just really thankful for Coach and the coaching staff to go me as a person. And I think everyone that has come through this program is can say the exact same thing about this uh, coaching staff. All right. Well, here, here's your crazy question. Here's your camaraderie question. We ask this occasionally, the first time with you. Who on the team does the best Coach Lonnie impersonation? The pitchers do a pretty good job. They're with Coach all the time with her being the pitching coach. Uh, but Danielle Watson, I think, had a pretty funny quote from um, our senior banquet just a couple of days ago that um, when Coach texts anyone on the team, she always says, let's chat. 
And it really makes our heart sink into our stomach because we don't know, you know, what it is. So I think maybe Danielle Watson kind of brings out um, a lot of coaches um, quotes and funny things that coaches says. <laughs> I, I know that you uh, plan to go into coaching when your softball days are done, but uh, enlighten our listeners as to what you've studied here at Florida state and, and where uh, and when you got the interest to, to, or desire to go into coaching. Yeah. So I actually just finished up uh, my master's of athletic coaching, which is kind of a new program that um, Florida state just um, recently, I think offered to students and, um, thankfully COVID gave me the opportunity to do it in a one year span. So I'm really thankful for that. And I think, um, just in the past couple years of COVID and, um, doing lessons with young girls around Tallahassee, I really just gained a passion for growing the game and really influencing young females and, um, definitely have been influenced by powerful women like Kocha herself and just how she changed my life coming into, um, college and, I just kind of am inspired by her to do that to, you know, young athletes and grow the game as well. And um, I'm just in love with the game now. I think coming to college and coming playing at Florida State has allowed me to fall in love with the game again and um, really just wanted to grow and become a super big deal, which I think it's getting there, and I, which is really awesome. And I just want to be a part of it however I can. And after I'm done playing, I just want to give back to the game and um, to Florida State in any way I can. So I just – yeah, I'm really excited for my coaching career, hoping, hoping it takes me somewhere, and um, I'm sure I'll have a lot of fun with it. Now, Sydney, you grew up in an area that is known for softball. Uh, what, what drew you to Florida State, and, and what have you realized uh, as a youngster now as the uh, older uh, member of the team, uh, just what Florida State's meant to you? Yeah, I mean, I think like we were saying, the camaraderie and the um, the family aspect of Florida State is definitely what drew me here and being I wanted to get away from home and so I knew I had to go somewhere where they were going to take care of me and um, Kocha and the coaching staff did just that um, by taking me in as a freshman super immature and really growing me into who I am now and going to go off and coach someday so I think I'm just very thankful for the coaching staff and looking back um, um, I tell everyone Florida State's the best college out there, especially for softball, but just to become a really strong, confident woman to go out and take on the world, uh, Florida State is uh, the best avenue to do it. And um, I'm really thankful for what Coach has done to me and poured into me. And um, I want to give back just as much to the freshmen that come in each year as I've grown. I want to give to them what the seniors did to me when I was a freshman and um, just keep that legacy going and um, hopefully – Maybe I'll come back to Tallahassee one day and coach. That's my dream. So, well, I know FSU would certainly welcome you back at some point. <laughs> as we as we start to wrap up here, Sid, uh, name, image, likeness is a big topic in college athletics, especially related to to football and what's going on there. Uh, from from your perspective, I, I don't know. Uh, not that you initially put a, a a complete number on this, but are you seeing an impact for you and your teammates with NIL and how it can make a difference for, for softball players? Yeah, I, I personally am seeing a huge difference just, um, I'd say like financially and going out into the world for women's sports, obviously there's not a ton of opportunity after college, um, to make a ton of money. So for a sport like softball, I think it's awesome because women can profit off their success or their name, image, and likeness of who they are. And, 
um, really create a brand for themselves that maybe they can show to young athletes and then, you know, make a little money on the side as well, which personally is going to really help me. I'm going off and coaching another 15 hours West from home and, you know, could always use that extra money. And so um, I think it's awesome. I don't, I know that there's a lot of it in the football aspect that I don't know a ton about. I'm sure they're making way more money than they know what to do with, but I think for a sport like softball and just female athletics in general that don't have a ton of money invested into their programs. And then of course, after college, not a ton of money invested into there as well. I think it's awesome. And um, I think it's really cool that we get to, you know, benefit off who we are. Well, Florida state has certainly benefited from uh, your career here and just having you on campus. Congratulations on your success. Uh, beat the Gators tonight. I know that's mission number one, and uh, we look forward to seeing you and your teammates uh, out in Oklahoma City again, hopefully this year. Yes, sir. Thank you guys so much for having me. You bet. That is Sydney Sherrill, star with the Florida State softball team. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles as we once again open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Our good friend Bob Franti is on the line. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Sydney Sherrill just uh, graced us with her presence. She's been a star for the Florida State softball team, as you know, going back to her freshman year when FSU won a national championship. Any anecdotes or thoughts on Sherrill having watched her career over the years? This is her final regular season home game tonight against Florida. Yeah, I don't think there's enough accolades or superlatives you can give for for an All-American, somebody who's, you know, built the program, um, I guess, continued the greatness of the program and, and took over, you know, moving from second base in 2018 in a championship season to, to go fill Jesse Warren's old position and, and playing really, really well at a high level, an All-American level. I think, um, I think Coach Alameda said it really well about two weeks ago when she talked with us and said that, um, you know, Sydney's going to leave this place in a really good spot um, in, in some regards better than than when she came in as a as a freshman. And her leadership is one of the reasons why it's not just what she does in the field or at the plate, but it's what she does in the dugout in the clubhouse, too. Well, we all are fans of, of Jesse Warren. And obviously that play, the play uh, is what the nation remembers that we're focused in on that. But it's arguable that uh, Sydney's contribution to this program is equal or maybe even greater than Jesse's, as great as hers was, but hasn't had that big spotlight and big play in the spotlight. And I'll just put in there yet. Maybe it's coming. We don't know. Yeah, I think, I think the defense is what has maybe gone under the radar with this team. It's a pitching dominated sport. We're kind of focused on those big hits that have produced runs but it's a defense that has erased base runners, uh, erased runs at the plate, you know, throws from Mudge and Harding, uh, you know, Sid Sherrill diving in one of the games last week against Oklahoma State, diving to pick off a runner at third who was, you know, inappropriately off, off base. And it was a poor base running mistake on, on her account, but a remarkable play from Sid. And, and she's had many of them. Um, 
this is a team I think defensively again tops in the nation in fielding percentage at 984. They only have 24 errors, and and when they don't commit errors, they win. I think they're about 35 and one overall this year. So this is this is a team that really wins with pitching and defense, and they've had you know just enough timely hitting as well as capitalizing on other teams' defensive mistakes to to really put together one of the best teams, one of the best starts in program history. Bob, staying on the diamond, but moving to baseball, as we're recording this, we don't know the outcome of the Tuesday FSU baseball game against Stetson, but we do know that Florida State took both games of the series against TCU, might have had a three-game sweep, had weather not gotten in the way on Sunday. So uh, it appears the team continues to trend in the right direction, a little bit of a, of a step backward against Clemson. But what's your thoughts now? I mean, it's been a two, three weeks maybe since last we addressed baseball, but uh, it, it's been up and down again. But, man, when they're clicking, they're pretty good. Yeah, and I think we have to stop at some point and just say we're watching one of the best left-handers in, in Florida State baseball history in Parker Messick. And, and you can go back through the memory banks and uh, Tyler Holton just pitched in the majors and, and, and Drew Parrish was great and, and David Yoakum and Randy Choate and, and go back through a bunch of, bunch of good names there. But, but Parker is certainly up there as a starter, as a four-pitch guy who we think one day will, will be in the show. And that's, that's going to be fun to, to see his next few outings and then where he goes from there. I think after that, they have to get Bryce Hubbard and then that Sunday guy stabilized. And, you know, Bryce hasn't been feeling good and, and it's, it's been reflected in his pitching. He's just not as sharp and he can't, doesn't have the stamina to go. Um, are you worried about him? I, I don't think so, but this team seems to need that stability that Messick and Hubbard bring. And then you get enough, you know, good innings here and there out of the bullpen. Wyatt Crowell has been remarkable when he's been asked to step in there. So there are some good moments. Uh, you know, Jordan Carrion's gotten hot and has, has had an f- incredible glove, almost a major league glove at shortstop. And there's been moments of, of just crazy inconsistency that, that makes you go, how did these guys do that? Because five minutes ago, they were playing great. It's, it's just a weird kind of ride, but I think we have often seen that Florida State baseball kind of stabilizes in May, approaching the postseason. And that's where, where they tend to play some of their best baseball when, when classes wrap up and you're, you're kind of becoming a, a full-time, uh, almost pseudo-professional player. Have you seen enough in spurts offensively to have faith in this club in the postseason? I think that's the question we're all going to be asking for the next month, honestly. You know, have we seen enough in spurts? Sure. Um Reese Albert has, has played some of his best baseball. And I think he's very content with where he is as far as his swing and his mentality and approach. Um, you know, we've seen what Tibbs and Ferrer bring. Alex Terrell still, to me, strikes out just at, at too high of a, of a rate. He needs to have better eye discipline, you know, plate discipline there, not, not chase a lot of pitches well out of the zone, a lot of, a lot of breaking balls to me that, that he's kind of swinging at and they're, they're tailing away from him. But when he connects with it, it it's, it's incredible. Um, they've got the pieces. They've got Tyler Martin when healthy. Um, you know, I, I do think it's a lineup that can produce some runs. Do you want to be in a position where you have to outscore teams with this lineup, especially an SEC team that might have some really good arms, for example, at, at, a, at another park? You don't want that. You want to be at home. You want to be a number one seed. 
you want to be in the best position possible. So I think what we're looking for is yes, some consistency in May, but also can they secure um, maybe not a top eight national seed, but at least hosting that regional so that you have that first weekend at home. All right, Bob, let's get to what everybody's talking about in college athletics. Pay for play, which is called name image likeness. So how do we fix this? And I'll just leave the mic open and you can opine for the next, I don't know, several hours, days, weeks, <laughs> or is there a simple fix? I don't know what the simple fix is, but I, I do think conferences are going to start the discussion. For example, the ACC will meet at Amelia Island next week. And that's where football, basketball coaches, administrators will, will be sitting down and they'll be trying to figure out, okay, we knew this was coming. We asked the NCAA for some guardrails and, and there truly is a guardrail in place against pay for play. It's just not enforced. And the NCAA lacks that, that true capability of enforcement. Um, that's why we're seeing a lot of the issues that are, that are here. I think there need to be some really serious discussions about how to collaborate and come up with some form of consensus. It's not going to be unanimous, but the problem is at the conference level, how do you get all these conferences to then agree to, okay, we're the ACC. This is what we think. Can Jim Phillips then go to Greg Sankey and say, here's what we're meeting on and here's what we would like to do. Would you be on board? Does the ACC Big 10 Pac-12 Alliance come up with a three conference solution of, of some sort. But the problem is it's not a solution unless all the power fives are on board together. And I see that as, as truly a big problem until we have some sort of uniform federal legislation. Um, and I, frankly, I don't see the NCAA jumping in on this by itself with a, with a lame duck leader who's been largely ineffective and um, it, it's just not a good situation from the NCAs. And so I see this more as a conference solution and we just have to hope that they can kind of come together and, and collaborate on something that, that works moving forward. Two things to remember guys. Number one, Florida state and Miami can't do anything unless there's a federal legislation that changes the state legislation. And number two, for anybody who thinks this isn't a problem, when a player says either you change my NIL deal or I'm going in the transfer portal, we've got a problem. And if that's the type of mentality, then college athletics will cease to exist as we know it. Yeah, I think one of my fears is the entitlement that maybe has been out there you know, for, for generations. And maybe a lot of these deals were just done under the table. Right. I mean, we've all heard about the bags and the jobs and the cars and the trucks. Well, now it's all being done on social media so that you have 10, 11, 12 year old athletes seeing what the older teenage athletes are getting and thinking well, one day I work hard enough. That's going to be me and I'm going to get my NIL money. And then you have some teammates who maybe are seeing, well, this is what my teammates getting in college. I want at least that because I think I've earned it. We're, we're opening up a lot of different issues without really good guardrails or, or solutions. I don't have a overall problem with NIL as long as we can figure out how to put in some guardrails. And let's remember 
a guy like Dylan Gibbons has raised $200,000 for charity. NIL can be functionally very, very good for people, for communities to help out players. Jamie Robinson lost his house in a fire. And a GoFundMe was established, you know, with, with the FSU community, the South Carolina community, people stepping up. So let's, let's not, I don't want to paint with a broad brush and just say all NIL is bad. It just needs, we need to figure out what are some best practices, what are some solutions moving forward, or else this thing is going to really go down the wrong track very fast. Well, the actual NIL you're talking about is real NIL, monetizing your name, image, and likeness, not just getting a check uh, to go to a school under the, the guise of NIL. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the fix on it. Keith, I know you're saying I told you so uh, back there. I, I can see the expression. Yes, you're nodding. Uh, you knew there were, there would be, you knew we'd end up, I think we all feared we would end up here. It's just, it's gotten there maybe a little more quickly than I, than I thought it would. Well, and the problem is we can't, this, this thing has gotten too big. We can't condense it. I mean, if you think this can get fixed anytime soon, you're just sadly mistaken. This horse, as we say in Wildwood, this horse is out the door and his ass is getting smaller and smaller as he runs away. <laughs> I was just going to say we can't unring the bell, but your Wildwood uh, story there was a little more colorful, Keith, so I appreciate it. So if we can't fix it quickly, how do we fix it uh, in the long term? I mean, is it signing guys to contracts? Is it just saying, look, let's let's call it what it is. These are employees. Uh, which, I mean, and then you get into, do we have an employee model for football and basketball, but not the other sports? I, I, I mean, how does it get fixed? I don't know about the mechanics of it, uh, but I will tell you the start of the fix is the super conference and the autonomy that's associated with that. And let's remember the NCAA has already set the groundwork for that. If 48 schools or 64 schools or X number of schools wanted to form that super conference. They can do that now within the guise of the NCAA. They may choose to go completely outside of the NCAA. But unless and until you get a consensus of the major players on the football side, everything will be putting your finger in a hole in the dike. There'll just be two more holes that open up later. You know, it's a serious topic when KJ drops an unless or until into his answer. So we're on to the serious stuff now, KJ. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, maybe that could be a good thing that comes out of it. Bob, you referenced conferences solving it. Yeah, I don't disagree. Conferences will have to solve it. The problem is at the power five level, that means there'll be five different solutions and five different sets of rules, which is what we've had with conferences in general, which is more to Keith's point. Like, let, let's fast track it from the conferences to all agree and maybe that's the start of what you're talking about, the super conference or whatever we're going to call whatever it. Whatever you call it, whatever you call it. Yeah. Bob, new side, let's change topics because uh, we can we can kill 10 minutes again next week and not be able to answer this. Uh, new soccer coach for FSU has, has met the media. Uh, big, big shoes to fill, but, but what do you think? Yeah, I like Brian Penske. I think he's, you know, job one is keeping the current roster in place. His announcement came just before the transfer portal deadline of, of May 1. And, and we did see, you know, Christina Lynch going back home from Indiana. She's an Indiana native. She'll play our final season at South Bend for, for Notre Dame. Very understandable transfer. 
he's got to keep that roster intact, those veterans, those leaders, um, those ladies who are very much committed to the program. And, and they are going to be the ones um, who will be the best recruiters moving forward for Brian Penske. It's, you know, what are, what are those veterans' impressions of him? How can he continue what Mark Krikorian built? Um, you know, also, how, how will Brian uh, fundraise and, and build the future of the program? Will there be more modifications besides the, the new grass surface of the soccer complex? What are, what are things that he wants to do and, and kind of create with the program? I, I think this is a really good pick. Um, comes heavily endorsed by Dave Hart, former Florida State Athletic Director, who hired Penske at Tennessee on, in, in part, Mark Krikorian's uh, recommendation. So there's, there's a lot of different ties here. And I think, um, you know, again, I, I probably mentioned this last week. It's so hard. It's so hard to step in because everybody's used to Krikorian. We, we probably just need to listen and learn about Brian Penske and, and what he wants to do here and, and how he wants to, to kind of grow things. And, and that's, that's going to be tough for a lot of people who, who wish that Mark Krikorian were here, um, especially his players. But I think he can continue what Florida State has built, and, and it's going to be a soccer powerhouse for, uh, for years to come. You mentioned roster, and we had the May 1. Uh, am I the only one that – it's not that I was disappointed. It was just a continued revelation of how far the Florida State football program had, has to come and has to go with just, just one kid drafted, obviously a first-round draft pick in, in Jermaine Johnson, but just one draft pick, and we've only had three or four or five in the last three years. Uh, you know, again, not to waller in it, but I've told people all the time, we had no understanding of how far this program had fallen. And here again is, in my opinion, another example by the people that are supposed to know that, that there's work yet to be done. Yeah, I don't think we appreciate or realize um, the lack of roster talent that Mike Norvell inherited, why he had to hit the portal so hard immediately, you know, literally weeks, days within being hired. I, I think the only thing I would comment if you're sort of fretting the, the one overall draft pick is these were rosters at Florida State that didn't have that many veterans to begin with. You know, there were so many younger, talented players who we think could potentially be drafted in the years to come. Um, are we projecting in that regard? Sure. Um, I'm happy for Jermaine. I think he landed in a great spot with the Jets. I think Keir and, and Jay Sean would have been drafted, if not maybe because of that past injury history. And, and in some respects, would you rather be a seventh round pick or would you rather be an undrafted free agent? And I think those guys now have that opportunity in the places that they picked to play their careers. Well, there's no question that to the degree they and their representation you know, kind of screened who they were being, uh, who they were discussing it with. You, you're right. You do have a, at least in theory and probably in practice as well, a better opportunity of uh, going to a, a scheme or a setup that works in your favor. Um, it's just that obviously the naysayers and those that aren't Florida State faithful are going to look at that and pile on and continue to pile on. And, and obviously we've seen some of that as well. That's all part of it. Uh, Bob, we'll let you go. Appreciate it, sir. Take care. More Front Row Knowles after this. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Keith, just a couple minutes to wrap things up. Uh, one, one thing we know, this, this is a problem and an issue that needs to get addressed in college athletics. We don't have the solutions as usual, but and we're not even the ones, the first ones pointing out this problem, but it's, it's an issue. The problem also is the timing of it. This needs to be handled quicker as opposed to later, because as I mentioned, that horse is at full speed in the opposite direction. Um, and I don't know if it can be, Tommy. I mean, it may get worse before it gets better, if you understand that phrase as well. Oh, I think it might. I think it might. And, uh, you know, we talked at the start of NIL, well, people are doing this, but when they realize there's not a return on the investment, are they still going to invest? Uh, the, the investment is they want their team to be the best team. So if there's success on the field, then they're, they're going to continue to invest. That's the part that wasn't talked about enough. This has nothing to do with return on investment. This has everything to do with a billionaire who likes the University of Miami saying, I'm willing to spend my money to make the University of Miami potentially better. And now every one of the 130 schools have got to go find one or more billionaires. And oh, by the way, Jimbo Fisher has like 13 of them on his board. It, you know, he who has the money wins. <laughs> Jimbo, you know, he got he got panned for denying all that when Texas A&M signed those folks. That's because he didn't want to have a public bidding war like what the University of Miami is dealing with since they tweeted out their actual figures and immediately had players demanding more that were already on the roster. It's messy. College athletics has always been messy, but boy, this is a whole new era. Not like the good old days, Keith, it was much simpler back in your day. People just handed you the million-dollar bills. You didn't have to worry about tweeting about it. As I've told many times, I won't bore you with the details now, but the biggest dollar amount I ever got illegally was five bucks. Well, in today's <laughs> dollars, that's like 15, Keith, so you were practically rich. Oh, there you go. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.